thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a guy who would have paid off everyone's student loan debt if he had the means, Mike <laughs> Van de Bogart. Uh, thank you, Joe. And uh, You totally would have. You're a good guy. Yeah, I would have if I had the money. Yeah, if you had like a trillion dollars. Trillion dollars. But uh, uh, thank you uh, once again to all of our loyal listeners for tuning in. Just a couple of announcements here. First, we're going to give uh, some new Patreon shout-outs. Do that first one last. Okay. Uh, Susan DeGaia, Kelly Snyder, Bobby Clark, Edwin Hom, uh, Corinne Elstad, Hoyt Newsom, Casey Majewski, and last but not only, or last but not least, <laughs> uh, Peter Calero Rodriguez. Uh, apologize for missing you last yep, episode. Yep, we, we missed him, and it's funny because I know him, and he signed up to be nice. I play Call of Duty with him, and we got online. <laughs> He's like, so I listened to your last episode. I was like, oh, what'd you think? He's like, well, uh, I didn't hear any of the names of your newest supporters. And I was like, yeah, we did. He goes, I was your newest. I was one of them. And I hear my name. We missed him. Just him. him. Just, uh, that was my fault. So sorry, Peter. Uh, I'd also like to give an episode shout out, a suggestion shout out to John, uh, luck or Luke. So sorry about your last pronouncing your last name (laughs) wrong, but, uh, thank you for the episode suggestion. This is a very interesting case. Uh, like we say every episode, if you want to call the show and leave a voicemail, it could be nice, mean, funny, uh, call 208-391-6913. And if, you, if you're listening to the show and you like the show, we just go out onto like iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen and give us a, give us a good rating. Uh, yep. It helps, you know, helps the algorithms find our show for uh, new people. And um, it's a free way you can kind of help, help the show out. So. Uh, other than that, any updates from you, Joe? Nope. Cool. Oop, I did it too early. Too early. <laughs> it's okay. This will be funny anyway. <laughs> now you can call and complain about that. Yes. I, I missed our format. All right, everybody. Let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. June 24th, 2006, an experienced hiker set out into the Olympic National Park to take in nature on a simple day hike. After he did not return to work, he was reported missing. Was it a simple accident or a major government cover-up? Join us this week as we investigate the very strange disappearance of Gilbert Gilman.
So I want to initially apologize because I like screwed up the audio twice. I came in wrong. <laughs> I, I have something in my eye and it's just ruining everything for me. I can't even think. I was like rubbing my eye like crazy, uh, but I'm, I think I'm back together now. So we're going to be talking a little bit about Olympic National Park. Its size is slightly smaller than Rhode Island, around 922,000 acres. And the trail that we're going to be talking around is the Staircase Rapids Loop Trail. Uh, this is located in the state of Washington. It was established June 29th, 1938. It has roughly, and this is as of 2020 numbers, 2.49 million, 2 million visitors per year. So it's a heavily visited park. Yeah, in a non-COVID year, it gets over 3 million uh, visitors. So it's a, it's a very popular park. It's in the top 10 every year. All right. I haven't, I haven't been to the state of Washington for hiking and I'm just dying to go. Yeah. I mean, it's, they've got obviously Mount Rainier national park and uh, Olympic national park are amazing. I've been to both mm -hmm. highly recommend both parks. All right. So, yeah. Uh, here are some fun facts about it that you might not have known when you visited. Now you'll know, <laughs> uh, there are 611 miles of trails in the park to explore. So a lot to go around. Yep. Uh, the whole rainforest gets nearly 140 to 170 inches of precipitation every year. So the whole rainforest is actually one of the few remaining temperate rainforests in the United States. Heavy rainfall and cool summers contribute to the rainforest abundance of natural life, including grazing elk, massive conifers, and over 130 species of mosses, lichens, and other ferns. Uh, plant life blankets everything from treetop canopy to moss covered ground. So if you even look on our logo, yeah. that's like an image from a uh, Pacific Northwest woods, basically. It's a, it's a really cool part of the country to hike. Um, I've maybe later on in the show, Joel shows some of the pictures. Yeah. Um, I'll pull it up when you're talking. Yeah. It, it's, it's cool. It's unlike most places you can hike in the U S so, yeah, I, that's why I want to go. Anytime yeah. I see a movie, uh, I know uh, the vampire movies that everyone like kind of loved or hated. What was it, Twilight? <laughs> Twilight? Yeah, like although those might be weird movies, if you can imagine the woods areas and the scenes in the forest, how beautiful it was, that's the type of uh, One of my favorite, forest we're talking about. Uh, X-Files episodes was filmed in a similar forest like this. So. All right, much better. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not much better one than, than comparing it to Twilight. Yeah. Uh, so Lake Crescent's waters are so pristine, visitors can see over 60 feet down into the lake. That's crazy. 60-foot visibility from above the water. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Uh, while most lakes grow algae, Lake Crescent lacks nitrogen, which makes its waters crystal clear. Yeah. So it's missing all of that natural algae and kind of gunk that is in a lot of lakes. You just see floating around? Yeah. Uh, while most lakes grow, uh, I read that part. Well, the world's <laughs> largest dam removal took place in Olympic National Park in 2014. Two major dams were removed as part of the Elwaha River restoration, and thousands of fish returned to the area in an unprecedented river revival. The 210-foot-high Glines Canyons Dam and 108-foot-high Elwha Dam stood for over a century. Although both dams fueled regional growth, they blocked salmon migration and disrupted the flow of sediment and debris. In 1992, Congress passed a law to free the Elwha River, and it now flows unobstructed from the Olympic Mountains to the Strait of Juan de Fuca. Pretty cool. That is cool. I wonder um, how they do the calculation for like what the water's going to do. Yeah. Because 
although that was a human thing that was put there, if it's there that long, nature yeah. is going to form around it. So I wonder how they are able to figure that out. I bet. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure they kind of had an idea, but water yeah. is going to kind of flow. Yeah, water going to water. Water's going to water. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, there are 60 named glaciers on the peaks of the Olympics. Blue Glacier, the largest glacier in Olympic mountains, is over 2.6 miles long and descends from the mountain's highest peak at Mount Olympus. Blue Glacier is so large that it is equal to over 20 trillion ice cubes. A lot of water. <laughs> A lot of water. Uh, Olympic marmots can be found anywhere, uh, can't be found anywhere else in the world. I would have guessed that because their name is literally named yeah. after that mountain. <laughs> Uh, the park is home to banana slugs. I've never heard of these, these guys before. These are before. pretty funny looking. Named for their resemblance to bright yellow bananas, banana slugs serve as com uh, composters for the park. They are an important factor in the ecosystem since they consume organic debris and vegetation and disperse seeds. While predominantly yellow, they also range in color from green to brown and can grow up to 10 inches long. Although banana slugs are named after a fruit, it is not advisable to eat them because their stomachs can be filled with toxins. <laughs> so do not go around eating the banana, banana slugs. slugs. I'm looking this up real quick because I need reference. Yeah, throw it up on the screen. They, oh, I will they are the like screen. bright yellow. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is an interesting, gross thing. I wouldn't even <laughs> think to eat that. Yeah, who would want to <clears> eat that? <laughs> Hold on, I'm going to throw it up here real quick and make sure I switch that bad boy on. Yeah, that, that looks like it could be something other than a slug. I wouldn't want to put it in my mouth. Yeah, I mean, the first one, look at the first picture. Like a, yeah. Like, like how yellow they are. Oh, yeah, look at that. Cool looking, but I don't know who would think to eat that. Yeah, it looks like something my dog deposits. I in wouldn't the even want to touch it. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, don't, well, don't eat it. Yeah, don't so eat the banana go. slugs. Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the climate a little bit. The rain shadow effect. As storms from the Pacific Ocean move across the peninsula, they encounter a very large obstacle, the Olympic Mountains. In order to reach the other side of these towering peaks, moisture must be released. As a result, the western portion of the park experiences much higher levels of precipitation than the eastern locations, creating a rain shadow effect. So this happens. This happens in the Rockies. Yep. Um, this happens in the Cascades. Uh, pretty much any mountain range, you'll see this effect happening. Yeah, it's almost like they're going through a strainer. Yeah. It strains out some of the, the I mean, anybody. I was just in Denver, and Denver is so hot and dry right now. And just an hour into the mountains, it's raining off and on all day long. Yeah, it's just catching all that moisture. But yeah, no, nothing ever makes it out into Denver, nothing, usually. Nothing makes it out, <laughs> ever. Um, so, as a result, the western portion of the part, annual precipitation ranges from 100 inches to 170 inches of rain along the coast and western-facing valleys. Massive amounts of precipitation are also discarded atop Olympic Mountain in the form of snow. Hurricane Ridge traditionally sets records of 30 to 35 feet of snow a year. That's a lot. That's a lot of snow. <laughs> uh, by the time any storm cells pass the Olympic Mountains, most of the moisture has been released. While precipitation still occurs, the amounts are considered lower. Uh, loca uh, located in Port Angels, An uh, Angeles, Angeles. Yes. The Olympic National Park headquarters only averages twenty-five to thirty inches a year. Wow, it does take all of it. Yeah, it's like squeezing a a towel out. Yeah. The decrease in rainfall impacts the type of ecosystems present on the east side of the park. While the western sections are dominated by temperate rainforests, as we said before, the eastern slope possesses drier lowland forests. 
So the terrain, uh, the, the park has four regions, the Pacific coastline, the alpine areas, the wet side temperate forest, and the forest of the drier east side. Uh, so, west side. Uh, yes. I said west side temperate forest and the forest <laughs> of the drier east it's side. It's not like wet side. Oh. Which technically is correct. It is the wet side, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's where all the rain goes. Um, that's pretty cool. You can like do all seasons kind of. Yeah. Uh, within the park, there are three distinct ecosystems, including subalpine forest, the wildflower meadow, temperate forest, and the rugged Pacific coast. Coastal portions of the park uh, that are rugged, sandy beach along with a strip of adjacent forest is 60 miles long, but just a few miles wide with native communities at the mouths of the two rivers. The Ho River has the Ho people and at the town of La Pouche at the mouth, uh, mouth of the Quillouette River, live <laughs> live the quill is it quill you live the quill yet live I, thy quill you looked it up i did yeah i'm gonna do it i'm gonna throw it in translate okay quill you quill i added a little flare so yeah the I town of lapush at the mouth of the quill river live the quill live the quill uh within the center of olympic national park uh rise the olympic mountains whose sides and ridgelines are topped with massive ancient glaciers uh, the western half of the range is dominated by the peak of Mount Olympus with rises to 7,965 feet. That's pretty low. Yeah. I was expecting it to be a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, the mountains, I think, kind of top out in the upper 7,000s okay. in the Olympic National Park. Well, that'd be fun to hike those. Yeah. You know, they wouldn't be too difficult. Looking to the east, the range becomes much drier due to the rain shadow of the western mountains. Here, there are numerous high peaks and craggy ridges. The tallest summit of this area is Mount Deception at 7,788 feet. In this park, black bears, mountain lions, bobcats, elk, wolves, red fox, coyotes, mountain goats, sea lions, and sea otters. You don't always see those gray humpback and killer whales. Yeah, these are that. obviously out in the ocean. Yeah, they're, they're not just... <laughs> <laughs> you won't find those in the park. That's a new thing we're going to get in trouble for. The killer whales that are going up the mountain. Yeah. Uh uh, Pacific white-sided dolphins and multiple sea species of seals. I'm just saying that I think this is the first park that we had where animals present included things from black bears to humpback whales. And killer whales, yeah. And killer whales. Uh, when we were there, because we camped out on the beach, we didn't see any of that kind of wildlife, but um, we heard reports from rangers that um, lucky hikers sometimes do, you know, we'll see like a killer whale breaching off the shore, like the huge oh. like water coming out. Or I can't spray. imagine being in that forest, that yeah. like that whole rainforest <laughs> area, and then seeing killer whales out in the ocean. Yeah, it'd be a pretty cool. be heaven. So the terrain, uh, similar advice that we've given for other parks. So this one, without looking, I'm I'm guessing is a little bit simpler. It's not super technical. I mean, you've got a lot of the peaks. You've got glaciers. So I mean, it's okay. So you're you're okay. You're going across ice. Yeah, I would say, I, you know, I wrote this down because we always talk about terrain hazards like in alpine environments. Just mm -hmm. uh, it gets a ton of snow. Um, you probably would need ice gear to cross some of these areas. Um, you know, a lot of just a lot of hazards of alpine hiking apply here. Sure. Um, so we've covered that almost every episode. So. Uh, Joe's. I'm gonna try. It's it's not up. I on can the go screen through yet. a few others here. While yeah, you're go through those. Up. I'm gonna try and pull so, this up on Google Earth. Some of the other uh, hazards, uh, obviously, like we said, uh, heavy snowfall. It's not uncommon for snowfall and heavy rain to occur into the month of June in the higher elevations. Uh, hikers should always check trail conditions, as many of the high elevation trails may be impassable due to snow. Um, they do get a lot of severe storms and flooding, so. 
the flooding can close roads and limit access to the park. So you just got to be mindful of when you're going hiking because you could get out there and then not be able to get back. Uh, avalanches are a threat. Now, Joe, this is a new one that we've never had really in a park we've covered, uh, tides. So, Oh, yeah, if, you're, if you can camp on the beach. One of the things on the beach where is in low tide, there's, you can get across the beach a lot easier, but uh, when the tide comes in, you can get stuck in spots. So at low tide, uh, you can walk down Olympics beaches safely, rounding some of the headlands and exploring, exploring tidal pools. What a lot of hikers don't realize, though, is that high tide can make some of these headlands impassable, such as the Point of Arches in Shishi Beach or Hole in the Wall on Rialto Beach. If you are unaware of when the tides are coming up or down, you could get trapped between steep cliffs and the water, leaving you no escape. And people have died because of this in the park in the past. So, Oh, like it comes in so fast. They're like in between the two and then... Well, they just, they don't expect for it to... It's at know, Pillar Point, right? Um, hole in the wall on the Rialto wall. Beach or Point of Arches on Point of Arches. Beach. So difficulty in general... This park was actually ranked as the ninth most dangerous national park in the United States based on uh, SAR incidents. So there were 204 SAR incidents between 2018 and 2020, which uh, placed it at ninth. Uh, For perspective, Grand Canyon was number one over that same period with 785. So um, it's still, uh, you know, there's a lot of, I think there's just so many different ecosystems you can hike in. People might not be prepared for everything, so... Well, I can see right here, point of arches. Look at this. Yeah. You know that, like, you can walk here probably when it's down. When the tide's low. Yeah, and if you get stuck in there, it's all rocks. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, like what we said, that um, we've talked about a lot of the, the difficulties hiking in alpine environments, but there's two things you really should have if you're planning to hike in Olympic National Park, especially on the beach, is a tide chart and topographic map. So, uh at Olympics, sometimes there's only one low tide on a day, so it's extremely important that you understand how to read a tide chart and have the topographic map with you. You don't ever want to assume that there will be two tides in one day, and don't assume that the tides will be the same time each day because they usually are different. And if you're unaware of when the tides are coming up and down, you could get trapped like we said. Um, a topographic map will also let you know what headlands become impassable at high tide, uh, which ones should not be passed regardless of the tides and what areas to use caution when exploring uh, the beaches. So yeah, like it, you, you go around these to get to other beaches. So yeah. like you can walk around and get there, but if you get stuck in the middle, yeah, absolutely. Game over. So anyone who is planning to hike this park, all you got to do is stop uh, by any Olympic national park visitor center or coastal ranger station. And they will have both a topographic map and a tide chart uh, you can also go on to the National Park Service website and download the tide chart. We actually grabbed tide charts when we we went to uh, Olympic because we obviously were camping out on the beach, so um, we got a crash course in how to read tide charts from the Rangers. So, um, Joe, do you want to jump yeah, into I'll, character profile? We'll talk about Gilbert Gilman. Yep. I love that name, by the way. <laughs> Gilbert Gilman. Yeah. Uh, Gilbert Gilman was born on November 26, 1958. Uh, the date he went missing uh, was six, uh, June 24, 2006. Uh, there have been no remains found. He was a male, so he's aged 47 at the time of the disappearance. He was 5'7", 165 pounds. He had graying brown hair, brown eyes. 
He wore eyeglasses. Uh, it was said that he was nearly blind without them, so he was probably wearing those. Yep. Bright blue and green Hawaiian shirt, khaki pants or shorts, sandals, prescription sunglasses. Uh, he was driving the, a, a 2005 Silver Ford Thunderbird convertible. And he had a camera and no backpack. Uh, he lived by himself uh, by himself in Northeast Olympia, so this is an area for him. He wasn't on vacation or anything. Yeah. Uh, he was in very good health at the time of his disappearance. Uh, he came to Washington, actually, in 2004 to manage the congressional campaign for Sandy Matheson, uh, the director of the state pension fund, as the director of the state pension fund. Worked under Matheson as the deputy director of the Washington State Pension Fund, formerly worked as a military interrogator, and took assignments in counterterrorism and counterintelligence. This is where the Hawaiian shirt comes in. He probably yeah. had a bucket hat on, too. Right. He also worked as a civilian contractor for a year in Iraq and was fluent in Arabic, Russian, and Chinese. He was an Army paratrooper and had served in Panama, East Africa, and Israel. He had combat experience with the 82nd Airborne and received two bronze stars. So, he, had, he had degrees from London School of Economics, Union College in New York, uh, Solvay Business School in Brussels. So he was, I would say, we don't know his experience level in this area, but I would say based on his military training, he was probably very experienced. Yeah, paratroopers learn survival. Yeah. So you have to go through yeah, survival school. I think extremely experienced. Yeah. A little too experienced. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's unknown how much he has, as he said, but it's, yeah, I think it's, it's, Super high level of experience. I'm just going, I'm not going to go into theories yet. But yeah, I'm he lived there. around here. So we don't know how much hiking he had done in the Olympic area before this, but um, I think it's safe to assume that he was pretty experienced in wilderness survival. I agree. Though, based on how he went out on this hike, you know, in sandals and, you know, I no theories yet. I know. No, but you'll get in timeline. That, I've, I've already have thousands of theories. In I would my just, head. <laughs> I would normally say someone who goes hiking in a national park in sandals is not very experienced. Yeah. Um, well, but don't even, I, I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> Mike started telling me this story and I immediately just shut him off because I was started rambling. I was like, no, we gotta save it. We gotta save yeah. it. I need, I need to know it raw. All right, Joe, <laughs> why don't you uh, give a little shout out to this episode's sponsor? Mike, our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because, as many of you know, I got into competitive drinking and was feeling slow and sluggish on training days. I was taking more supplements than I could count, and nothing was helping. One of the fighters at my gym recommended Athletic Greens AG1 Daily Health Drink, and I've never felt better. One scoop of AG1 in the morning has me ready to take on Thanos, Avengers reference, by the time I get to the gym. One serving of AG1 contains 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens that supports better sleep quality, recovery, mental clarity, and alertness. All things very important in the world of combat drinking. <laughs> Drink fighting. Best of all, it costs less than $3 a day, from which my own experience is cheaper than getting all the different supplements myself. For less than a cup of Starbucks, you can make an investment in your own health that I can personally vouch for. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com 
forward slash E-M-E-R-G-I-N-G to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right. So we are going to jump right into the timeline. So uh, I told Joe this before we started. The timeline is a little, little, you know, sparse just because um, he was only hiking a day hike Mm -hmm. and uh, he was reported missing pretty quickly. So we'll jump right in. It's uh, June 24th, 2006, which was a Saturday. Gilman headed to Olympic National Park. He was going to do a quick day hike of the Staircase Rapids Loop Trail to take some photos uh, in the park. So, Joe, while I'm going through this, why don't you, if you can, go to all trails and see Rapid if Rapid Loop can... Trail? Yeah, it's called the Staircase Rapids Loop Trail. Uh, weather that day, uh, from reports we got from park rangers, was uh, it was hot and sunny, so there was no, no inclement weather in the area. It was just hot and, you know, a day where you'd need a little more water probably. Uh, Gilman parked his car at the Staircase Ranger Station. He briefly spoke uh, to Park Ranger uh, Sani Lustig. Lustig said Gilman was carrying a camera but not a backpack, which Joe had mentioned in the character profile. Uh, the Ranger said, I could actually hear the music playing in his car and went out to see what was going on. And I had a brief conversation with him and asked him to turn down the music. I got the sense he was going for a hike. This would actually be the last time anyone would see Gilman. Um, I'm going to go into just a little bit of information here on the, the trail he was on. So the staircase area of Olympic National Park is located about 30 minutes outside of the town of Hoodsport uh, in a lowland old growth forest. Uh, it is the base to a seasonal ranger station, a campground, and a trailhead for the North Fork Skokomish River Trail, a beautiful spot for backpacking or for day hikers. Uh, beginning of the Staircase Rapids Loop. And unfortunately, this was not an area of the park that we hiked when we were in Olympics, so I don't have any personal experience. Way to go, Mike. On this trail, yeah. Uh, Next so, time, think about that, okay? <laughs> yeah, we hiked you this. You know, be- before the like podcast exists. Seven years ago, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so the Staircase Rapids Loop Trail is a 2.1-mile, relatively flat uh, loop taking hikers around the canopy uh, taking hikers under the canopy of three to 400-year-old Douglas firs, western hemlocks, and western red cedars. The trail follows the North Fork Skokomish River and meanders through the woods, passing by mossy trees and ferns. A spur trail he- heads to a large fallen cedar. Uh, there was a suspension bridge built in 2013 that crosses the river, giving a viewpoint of the rapids. The original bridge was taken out by high water, and the new bridge was built much higher to accommodate uh, the spring runoff. Hikers can continue on the on a longer hike of around 15 miles round trip on the North Fork Skokomish River Trail to Flapjack Lakes. So Joe's pulling up pictures here. It looks really cool. Yeah, it's beautiful. But it's one of those trails that you could really get done in a morning, like pretty quickly. Yeah, it's... it. The elevation gain, if you look down here, is, like, not too wild. And we're talking about a guy, you know, ex-paratrooper. Um, 9% that grade, that's about the highest. In good physical condition. Like, this should not have been a, any challenge for him. The weather was good that day. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's water in the area that you could fill up with a filter if you had to. Um, so there's not really a reason why you would go missing on this trail. It looks very well-identified. The entire trail, like, there's no chance you're going to go off trail on this one. Yeah. Um, so. 
keep flipping through some photos. That looks really cool. I'd totally hike there. Yeah. That'd be like a, if at the end of the day, like you, you have enough time to do another day hike, but you can't really do something yeah. longer Ooh, than a couple at, look miles. Look at that tree. Look at that guy. These are all images on all trails, by the way. So I think that's the tree they mentioned. There's a spur that goes off to this fallen cedar. Oh, yep. There you go. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. It's a cool, looks like a very cool place. Yeah. So uh, fast forward now to June 25th of 2006. And Gilman was supposed to accompany Sandy Matheson to a meeting in Spokane, Washington on Sunday, June 25th. When he failed to meet Sandy on Sunday, he was reported missing to the authorities. So now it is June 26th, 2006 at 8 a.m., which is a Monday. A ranger at the Park Staircase subdivision called uh, the sheriff's office at 8 a.m. to say Gilman's 2005 Ford Thunderbird convertible had been at the park since Saturday afternoon. This was the ranger station where he was last seen by park ranger Lustig. So we don't. I don't have a exact timeline for the search and rescue. We know it went for about 10 days, and it ended around July 6th of 2006. Mm-hmm. So searchers spent about 10 days looking for Gilman in the staircase area. They also searched nearby trails and ridges in the area, which included steep rocky hills, dense forest, and the North Fork Skokomish River, and they found no trace of them. They had tracking dogs on site. They had a helicopter in the air, and they also had planes equipped with um, forward-looking infrared uh, cameras. FLIR. FLIR. And, yeah, they didn't find anything. In all, they had over 62 searchers on the ground, uh, after 10 days, he was declared lost by the U.S. Forest Service, and the official search was called off. Uh, here's a quote now. We've reached the limits of what we can do, said Ranger Mike uh, Danzewick, head of the search effort. Park employees will keep looking, but while doing their usual work, said Kat Hawkins Hoffman, a park spokeswoman. Uh, she also said, we did not call off the search. Uh, employees will maintain a heightened sense of awareness for the missing man while getting back to our normal staffing level at staircase, she said. Hoffman said the park officials had conferred with members of Gilman's family. Those included his mother, Doris Gilman, and her partner, Bert Persky, Gilman's sister, Lori Matheson uh, of New York, and his girlfriend, Donovan Slack, 38, a reporter for the Boston Globe. So... Fast forward now to August 27th of 2015. Gilman was declared legally dead on August 27th. Uh, We've covered this before, I think, in other states, but to be presumed dead in Washington, an individual must be missing and not heard from for at least seven years with an absence that is not satisfactorily explained after diligent search inquiry. So It's very specific. (laughs) Yeah. So um, fast forward... Actually, yeah, fast forward now to, so actually we're going back in time a little. Apologize for this. So that Fast was, forward till we go all the way to the beginning? Yeah, back in time. Um, so 2008, an interesting special ran on KRO-TV um, that has actually since been taken down. I could not find a copy of this anywhere. Ooh. Uh, they theori- Very ominous. Yeah, they theorized that Gilman may have gone missing on purpose so he could become a spy for the U.S. government. It's 100% what happened. This was based on his prior work as a military intelligence officer with top secret clearance and the fact that his mother said he led a mysterious life. So his mother was fully on board with the theory that he went missing on purpose to become a spy. Or he probably already was one. Yeah. So now we are going back fast forward into time again, 2014. 
another really interesting. No, he already is one. Oh, you think so? We'll get into that. Yep, I'm, I'm biting my tongue. Like this is very <laughs> difficult for me to just sit and listen. So uh, a 24 episode, a 2014 episode of Dark Minds by Investigation Discovery and hosted by the author, investigative reporter M. Williams Phelps, suggested that Gilman was a possible victim of the Alaska serial killer Israel Keys. Mm. The FBI said Keyes, a carpenter, was arrested at age 34 after admitting he murdered an 18-year-old Anchorage girl. Um, so he, he sought many of his victims while hiking and camping in remote locations. He traveled all over the U.S. on trips to the wilderness, and it seems that on these trips he sought out murder victims and disposed of them discreetly in an effort to avoid detection. Uh, Keyes ended up committing suicide in custody in Anchorage in 2012. Uh, Keyes was an avid hiker who lived in the Nia Bay. Uh, you want to look that up? Click click on it um, so I can uh, go to where you are. You want to get the names right? Yep. It's N-E-A-H. Uh, it might be Nia Bay. Or Nia Bay. Nia Bay. I don't know. Let's see. What's what's our translator say? Nia. Nia. Nia Bay. So he was an avid hiker who lived in Nia Bay in Washington from 2001 and was issued a few overnight back. Uh, country permits that allowed him access to the Olympic National Park during that time. According to author Molly Koneski, Keyes was completing a marathon in Port Angeles around the same time that Gilman went missing. He came 90th in that race. Keyes was, ev- Keyes was eventually linked to the murders of 11 people from Vermont to Washington between 2001 and 2012. Before Keyes died, he did say that he killed a couple and two individuals in Washington dumping them in lakes, including Lake Crescent near Port Angeles, which is 650 feet at its deepest. But in March 2014, Anchorage-based FBI agent, special agent Kevin Donovan said that Keyes was unlikely to be involved in Gilman's disappearance based on evidence and reviews of unsolved homicides and missing person cases. So, interesting little sidebar. So we've got a couple things going on here. We've got... Obviously, I've got some notes before we jump into theories, yeah. but... Um, Don't go too deep. No. But I think, you know, we've got, obviously, the normal things that could have happened. Injury, exposure, stuff mm-hmm. like that. We've got the potential that he disappeared himself on purpose to become a spy, or as Joe Cesar, he is a spy. And the third thing is he could have been one of the victims of this serial killer who was in the area at that time. The funny thing is... Two of the three theories are off the deep end theories that are possible. Yeah. <laughs> and and the least likely possible one is not the most interesting one. I know. The least likely possible is the serial killer one, but that's not the most interesting. No. That's that's what's crazy about this entire case. Yeah. So just some side notes on uh, this case. They did do a search of Gilman's house and found a laptop computer, a BlackBerry device, and a trip schedule for Spokane. So... Uh, they didn't find anything, you know. Oh, he was totally planning to go somewhere. I can't believe he disappeared. <laughs> yeah. He had all these plans. Um, and interesting, perfectly laid out. Yeah, interesting enough. This is not the first time someone's gone missing on this trail. So in the 1980s, two hikers reported missing after hiking in the staircase area, and they were never found. So mm. this area does have. Do a they his- also work for the government? Yeah, yeah, right. So this area does have a history of people going missing in it. Another thing that I found interesting is um, in 
2017, this was reported as of 2017, uh, Olympic National Park, which gets more than 3 million visitors a year during you know non-COVID years, did not have written procedures for search, searches for people reported missing in the park. So uh, this is a quote from... Were they the only park in the country to not have written procedures? That I don't know. Because it'd be very convenient yeah. to have a search effort that doesn't work too well. Yeah, that's the park if you're planning you on going go missing. missing. Yep, yeah. So this is a quote now. Olympic National Park does not have park-specific written guidelines or policy related to missing persons, so they use the National Park Service policy. ONP Acting Superintendent Lee Taylor wrote to the Peninsula Daily News in response to a FOIA request. The 82-page National Park Service Search and Rescue Reference Manual does not mention missing persons, though it says the initial report of an overdue hiker may only warrant an evaluation using a search urgency chart and that no other action may be needed until more time passes. So I've, I included that in this case only because now while this procedure could have changed by now, during the time he went missing, the park itself didn't have a detailed search and rescue plan, which is kind of odd being that their their park is one of the parks that has some of the most SAR incidents in the country. So you would think they would have their own developed plan that's tailored to that area, mm. but they didn't. Um, so I only add that in because did, did that mean like the search for Gilman was not up to the quality of searches that we've had in other parks just because they weren't trained properly or didn't have the proper guidance on what to do. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe. So I, I, I just included that. Just, I found it kind of interesting. I, I think all the parks we've, we've talked about seem to have pretty detailed SAR plans in place. So I, I found that a little interesting. So we'll jump right into theories here. So, this is this is interesting. The official theories, or authorities and his family believe he still may be alive and may have left on his own account. Uh, his bank accounts are still being monitored to this day in accordance with the theory that he went missing intentionally. So the authorities do th- don't think that he's in the park. They think that he, from what I read, I don't have it included here, there is a pretty easy way from the staircase trail to get down, to, you, you got to go down like another couple trails and you can get to like a forest service road. Okay. And they theorized that he could have just hiked, you know, down these trails and met someone on that service road and poof, he's gone. Um, so I think, I think that's really interesting. This would be, a, like you said, off the deep end theory in any other case. And the authorities in this case think that's what he potentially did. So okay. my personal theory, I, I have a hard time coming to the spy theory. What? Like, why, uh, why do you need to go out on a hike to do it? He lived by himself. Just leave. And you draw less attention to yourself if you just left. There's two theories within the spy theory. You understand this, correct? <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> tell the listeners. <laughs> How are you not on the same page? <laughs> we're almost a conspiracy theory podcast, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> like we report real things, but they we're like the Venn diagram well, for would, conspiracy theories and missing persons. Like you, we're like in the middle. Would you agree that if your goal was to disappear and become a spy, it would less attention would be drawn to you if you just 
left your apartment one day and didn't come back versus go hiking and start a massive search looking for you. Yeah, if you think like a mere peasant. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's your... That's what you'd expect them to do. That's why they absolutely don't do it that way. So, I mean... (laughs) If if this was Hollywood, you would you would have like a, a cadaver oh, that sure. matches your appearance. Which is would, why you don't do it that way either. You don't do so how would how what do you think happened? Uh I think he's definitely a spy. And obviously I don't know the exact mission or reason, but he needs to disappear for certain reasons. I mean he That's speaks one of one of the this is one of the theories is he needs to disappear and be declared dead for whatever reason. Yeah. For undercover missions or whatever. Second thing, he was captured mm. by the enemy. Okay. Because if he's been involved in all that stuff, they could have been monitoring him, and he's somewhere overseas in a black site being pumped for information, and they got to go get him back. Okay. Those are the two scenarios in the spy. I think those are the most likely. Most likely. Serial killer, no way. Don't think it was a serial killer. Combat trained. He's obviously, I I don't think it said special forces, but a lot of times you don't know. Can you show those pictures of the guy's faces crossed so they don't know if he went for training? Can you imagine being a serial killer and the one guy you pick is (laughs) ex-paratrooper intelligence officer? Yeah, the only reason we know (laughs) that theory isn't correct is because serial killer uh, Keys never randomly was injured in the in hiking yeah. by somebody. He comes back with yeah, a he broken was, leg. Yeah, he in his wound. story when he was arrested, he never said he was assaulted in the woods by somebody because that would have been our guy. Yeah. So okay. I I think like and that trail is simple. Yeah. And he's trained. I mean, he saw Military combat trained. overseas. Bronze stars. Yeah. Like he he didn't trip in the river. I mean, yeah, he could have. Yeah. Sure. But like he's not clumsy and around because he's mean, out he, of shape. So he didn't have you know, a harp on this. He didn't have proper gear to go hiking. Yeah, because he wasn't hiking. <laughs> yeah. That's the one tell. Yeah. I'm going to go take some pictures. Yeah. I Yeah, I guess. I'm he just... was dressed up like the stereotypical undercover fed from that time. Hawaiian shirt, sh- cargo shorts. He reminds me of the older guy in Burn Notice. He's like the dude. <laughs> yeah. He's like the dude in Jurassic Park when... uh. uh Oh, he meets him at the he diner him, in Costa yeah. Rica. Yeah, and he's all pretending to be undercover. Dotson. Dotson. We found Dotson. Hey, don't use my name. <laughs> yeah, he's wearing what Dotson's wearing. And then they go Pull to his house. And they go to his house. <laughs> they go to his house, and he has all these plans laid out in his phone and all these things that he totally, well, A, wouldn't just have laid out, and B, why is his phone sitting there? Why yeah. doesn't he have his BlackBerry? Yeah. Look up Dotson. BlackBerry, the most secure phone in the world yeah. until they got overtaken. Yeah, I don't know. I... He he did speak Arabic, Russian, and Chinese. Arguably, you know the three most important. Uh, if you're going to be a spy, you probably want. If you're going to be an interrogator, you're going to want to know one of those languages. There you go. <laughs> Hopefully, we don't get a YouTube hit for this. Yeah, well, it'll be you one clip. Sound on. Yeah, I got the sound on. Okay. Dodson, Dodson, we've got Dodson here. <laughs> That's our guy. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody cares. So we got Dotson. He's a, he's a spy. So you think either was captured by the enemy on his hike. That, I think it's more likely in those two scenarios that you mentioned that he disappeared himself because if he truly was going out there to hike, he was completely unprepared. <laughs> oh, I oh hold on. You've just introduced a third spy theory. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's disappearing himself to hide from our own government. He's that good. He's Jason Bourne. Like he went out there and then no one knows where he is in the Government's looking for him. Our enemies looking for him. He's living his life somewhere with somebody else right now. Do you think he's listening? I hope so. 
Godspeed, uh, Gilbert Gilman. I mean, even that name, Gilbert Gilman. Well, it's his real name. That was his real name that he got from the government when he started doing all that overseas <laughs> contractor crap. You don't know what his name was before but his, that. His mom's name is Gilman too, though. I'm sure she is. I'm sure she's totally not a Fed. Also, <laughs> his whole family of spies. Uh, no, just the ones that are part of this Gilbert Gilman story. Okay, so your theory is he's either. My theory is he's a spy, he's a and spy. this is spy-related. Spy-related. Now, there's lots of spy-related veins we could spy go down. Spy-adjacent. Spy-adjacent. Yes, spy-adjacent theories. Uh, okay, so I'm going to ru- things I'm going to rule out. Uh, I have a feeling that there was a nuke in Chicago that he disarmed that we don't know about, <laughs> that we don't know about. There is going to be Chicago? an attack. But just because it's close to us, and it's the first thing. I just was there. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to rule out animal attack. I don't oh, think Oh, 100%. He'll take out a black bear with yeah. bare hands. Well, and they're scared of humans. Though we've had we've been yelled at uh listeners um have yelled, you know, yeah, I've first-hand experience of chasing black bears out of my camp. They're scared of humans. Yeah. 90% of the time. And I've firsthand been in the presence of a grizzly in the wild and a black bear, and I'll tell you, I was much more scared of the grizzly. <laughs> uh, yes. I was about 50 yards from a grizzly, and I... Flat Top Mountain? Uh, no, this was in the Tetons. Oh, Tetons. He was off the trail eating some berries, and we were walking, and all of a sudden, one of the guys, I can't remember, might have been Ben, he's like, guys, guys, look to your right. And we looked <laughs> over, and all I see is this bear at eye level just staring at us. All right, be real with the audience. <laughs> did you wet yourself a little bit? I did not. A little dribble? No. Still get tiny? No, I bet you did. You liar! I didn't. <laughs> you totally did. But I was uh, the adrenaline was pumping, and I had an urge to run. But we we actually. But you're busy peeing your pants. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut all this out. Nope. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, we walked very slowly, and the entire time we were walking by, the bear's head was just following, just us. tracking you. Oh God! And, like those paintings where the eyes follow you. Yeah, he was uh, just like this. And their whole head moves too, so it looks like it's kind of moving in concert, like yeah. with you and not the body. So we just kept our same pace. We didn't like try to run or anything because animals, a lot of animals, you know, like a dog, if you run, they'll chase you. Yeah, you don't like, want to turn your back to them either. But so, you also don't want to look them in the eye. Yeah. I heard you're supposed to kind of look like below their mouth, look at grizzly, their chest. You don't want to make eye yeah. contact because it's a threat. A grizzly charging could cover 50 yards pretty quickly. Yeah, 30 miles an hour in sprints. So not prolonged speed, but farther down the trail, we, we mentioned no it to a, a ranger and they said that that time of the year, if there's natural food that they're eating, oh, you're unless good. you provoke it, they're not going to come after you. Cause he was in a berry patch just eating. Yeah. So, but it was still terrifying. Like, sure. You see him at zoos and you've got this giant fence in front of you. Yeah. When you're out in the trail and you just see this. Yeah. There's nothing between you guys nope. and they can <laughs> climb trees. Yeah. Oh no, they so, can't. They shake them. And I've also been no, I've in seen, the. I've seen it. I've seen a brown or a grizzly bear climb a tree. They think they just prefer not to. Well, black bears. Black bear do. Are, yeah, they. I've I've been in the presence of black bears, and it's it's, it's scary. But you you don't feel the same terror you do if you see a grizzly in the yeah. wild. Well, um, they're a lot smaller. Yeah. So I'm gonna rule out animal attack. I'm gonna rule out uh, any kind of fall, just because this trail is so short and it's well marked. And it was the middle of the day. It's a you know a pretty popular trail, and this guy was a you know highly trained veteran, highly trained current spy, <laughs> current spy. So I'm going to rule out animal attack. Um, I I wanted a part of me. 
Oh, what are you looking at there? Glacier National Park. I, I want to figure this out now before people call in, like, they're priority typing, like, grizzlies don't climb trees. I'm pretty certain this is a video of a black bear climbing a tree, and I think the grizzly chases it up. I hope it does. Otherwise, well, at least I'll retract it right now. Yeah. Oh, he's trying. See, he wants to, but I they think don't, they're they, just, they're too they're big. They're too big. Yeah. He might get up there, though. I feel like I remember this getting up there. I just tried because one of the things the they on. they tell you if a grizzly is chasing you is you can try and get up in a tree. Yeah. Um. That. Oh, and yeah, that's, oh wait, let's see, he's going at him again. That's classic, isn't it? <laughs> that's classic, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, so I, I don't think... No, I don't think they can. Because I think one of the things I've been told by rangers is you can try to climb a tree. For, for black bears, you can't. They will they will run up a tree after you. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, so, yeah, I you said ruled out animal attack, ruled out fall. I'm going to rule out exposure just because there was no storms that day. Uh, there were, you know, it's June. Tree cover. Tree cover. Um yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the most logical theory here, and I'm gonna have to agree with the authorities, which we don't always always do, is that he went out there to to go missing, and <coughs> he's now working for the U.S. government as a spy somewhere. Yes, that's 100 percent what it is. Another what is that? Brown bear in a tree. Yes, I found one. Yeah. So I can say they probably could climb trees, but. Most of them never have. That bear looks very <laughs> yeah. uncomfortable yeah, he's and nervous. Stuck. He got up there and he's like, oh, crap, I'm not a black bear. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Yeah, he's he's like trying to figure out how to get down right now. That poor guy. Oh, that's sad. I'm going to turn this off. I don't want to look. I don't want to watch that. All right. So, yeah, I... I don't know that I'm going to go down the, the same train, you know, jump on the train with you that he was captured by. Another no, you country. jumped on the train, but we're we've taken that train to another spot where there's different <laughs> trains. And that's where we're not sure. We're kind of standing and looking at all those trains. Like, okay. hey, where do we go? I'm just going to go the, the old fashioned spy route. He uh, he's probably embedded somewhere in Russia right now uh, doing his spy stuff. Uh, now would be the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, yeah, well all the things few, are going on. A few years early, but uh, um, yeah, so I think uh, very... Oh, not a few years early. He just knew since then. He's been there since. Yeah. Expecting it. Um, so, yeah, very interesting story. It was a little light on information, especially with uh, the one... I wonder. I wonder why, Mike. Yeah. I wonder why there's not a ton of information about this story. The the one you know the one big piece of information from KRO TV that special I tried to find was taken down. So that um, that had a lot of information that we probably could have gotten on this. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's pretty clear cut though. He's a spy. Yeah. Now, so now, if anything happens to uh, me and Mike, we're both healthy. We both want to live. Yes. Uh, we we. And and Gilman, if you are. Are listening to or us. May, yeah, I'll jo I'll join. You could well I no, can help. I can help. You, you could call our number and let us know how how <sighs> things are going. Maybe he's so good. He's the Bigfoot guy who keeps calling in. Hey, he's been priming it. Yeah, so so he can feed us de information. I don't know. An interesting little case here. Uh, thank you to John uh, Luck. That's for, that's my off the deep end. I'll end it there. I promise. Okay. I'll have one little story after this. My off the deep end is he is the Bigfoot guy and he's been leaving those messages knowing we're going to play it on a Patreon and there's a secret message embedded in each one of those messages. <laughs> so the message that it's getting to is one of our patron members. Okay. Boom. That's off the deep end. Now, was there something you were going to share with everyone that you forgot last time? I can't remember now. Oh, 
uh, the story about how I ran into a patron supporter? No, you talked about that, haven't you? I've talked about it in the patron episode. I forgot oh. to do it in the main one. Okay, well, fill everyone in. I'll do it real quick. We'll, we'll jump so off. it was Hannah Morgan. Was it Hannah Morgan? I'm going off memory, which I'm surprised I ever remembered that uh, much. Well, tell the story and I'll look it up. So I was at the Dirty Heads concert in Milwaukee. And uh, I got pit seats because when you go to concerts that not a lot of people know about, you get really inexpensive front row seats. So I was in the pit with my wife and two friends of ours. And we were leaving to go to the bathroom or go get some drinks. And somebody reached out. And I think she either grabbed my arm or like tapped me or just like got my attention. And she goes, are you Joey Rado? And I'm terrible with like names and faces and even people that I've known from a long time ago. So I freaked out. And I was like, is this someone from high school? And I'm forgetting who they are. I'm going to look like an idiot. Hannah Madden. Hannah Madden. I was pretty close, right? Yeah. Um, so so she's like, I'm a patron supporter of the show. So she actually recognized my face from a podcast, which is actually pretty cool because video is not a major part of our show. So yeah. she knows what we look like, and she recognized me. And I was such an ass because I was so flustered and confused and didn't really grasp what was going on. I was like, oh, thank you for listening. <laughs> and and we were going to the bathroom. So I was like, all right, like thanks very much. And I kind of left. And yeah. She was smiling and being nice, but like I got up to the bathroom and I was, I was talking to my wife. I was like, I feel like such a jerk right now. Like I didn't even like talk to her. I just kind of like blew her off a little bit and it was total confusion. So uh, I turned into the stalker and I kind of hung out in the back because I could see where they're sitting and waited till they went back to their seats because they went to get food or probably talk about how an ass, how much of an ass I was. Yeah. Um, and I waited till they got back and it went down and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. I just like was thinking about it and it, I was so confused at what was happening. And so I spent a lot of time talking with her. We took some pictures. I posted on the internet. Uh, and she was talking about how one of the funniest things she heard on her show and what she what she was always laughing about was the episode we were talking about if you're stuck at the top of a mountain yeah. in a lightning storm, you can bend over. So if you get hit by lightning, it hits your butt and goes through your leg into the ground. <laughs> it doesn't hit your vital organs. Yeah. You know, it's like kind of would work and it's kind of a joke. Yeah. But it would like, I would totally do that if I was stuck in there. Um, and I was... Being Italian, and if you're watching the the monitors, I think I have it back to us, not the screen. No, I don't yet. I'll turn this off. So I'm 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 always like this, big arms, yeah. Italian, describing things. And I was drinking a little bit at the show, so that part took in it. So I'm explaining, <laughs> like bending over, and I move my arms. Go, I knock my wife's beer completely out of her hand, goes flying, and she's like, "See, I just hit the camera. Look at, <laughs> I'm such a klutz." So we're laughing. I feel like such an idiot because not only did like blow her off the first time, then I come back. I'm apologizing, just being completely flabbergasted. Yeah. And then, and we're laughing. I was like, so anyway, and I go back to explaining it. And I bend over and some other guys walking by and knocked the beer out of his hand. <laughs> so I'm like trying to give this guy money. I'm like, I'm so sorry. The beer's only probably eight bucks. Yeah. So it was just a disaster, but uh, Hannah, it was awesome seeing you. I mentioned this on the Patreon episode you heard it, but I felt everyone needed to deserve to hear how much of a klutz I am and how terrible I am in person. So if you say something to me and see me, which I doubt will happen again, I thought that was pretty unique. Yeah. But if you do and I'm weird, it's because that's how I am. I'm just weird and not well put together. <laughs> so <laughs> there's that. And I have one more piece of information, discover conspiracy real fast. Okay. I have to get this out because I heard it today on the internet, which could be fake. But apparently, uh, there was a guy who owned like 45 Domino's pizzas in the Washington area, like the D.C. area. Yeah. And they started realizing that like the Pentagon and the White House, these government buildings would have random like 
high increases in pizza orders at weird hours. Yeah. And then within 40 days, a major event would happen. <laughs> so he totally like was monitoring like, wow, they're ordering lots of pizza all hours of the night at the White House. And then something would happen. <laughs> and it, they called it like the pizza meter or something. He the dubbed pizza it. Meter. So they actually changed the way they get food in it late at night because like because of this guy. Yeah. Like That's it was hilarious. it was like a, to- a total hack. Like he's figuring out like stuff was happening. <laughs> So with that said, thanks again for tuning into our show. Uh, uh, we appreciate you all for listening, even after all the things that went wrong uh, and sharing locations unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we do have the YouTube channel that you can subscribe to as well as subscribing to our Patreon if you want to help support us monetarily. Uh, you can also visit our Facebook store and our website to buy cool swag. Uh, otherwise, you can always donate or simply log on and Hit that five-star button. If you don't like us, call us. Don't don't rate us badly. And remember, when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or just simply taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we will see you all next time.